You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out all trouble and drum. Beat out all trouble and drum. Beat out all trouble and drum. And kick all trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Welcome to Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joe Toscano. The program is podcast. If Kelly Whitworth, the world's greatest producer, can be bothered, how are you, Kelly? I'm real good. How are you today? Real good. Real good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good, mate. Well, matey, I'm glad you haven't drunk that bottle of wine there. No, because Con from Glen Iris, one of our lovely Radiothon donors, is going to get it. So congratulations, Con. It's from Ara, the uh, cafe, fancy cafe next door to 3CR. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon. Very nice. 2019. So congratulations, Con, just one of our many uh, beautiful um, Radiothon donors this year. God, you're pathetic. How do you know they're beautiful? They you never are. met them. We love them all. We love them all. They keep they they got us over the line. And uh, we I've, love I've, them I've, all act- for I've actually met Con, and I wouldn't describe him as beautiful. Well, we beg to differ. Um, and the fifty dollar um, voucher from Stick It Grill across the road from Three CR is going to Aiden from Werribee. So thank you very much, Aiden. And um, if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind just mentioning the names of all oh, our make it bloody donors. Quick. Make um, it quick. We've got say, we've got a guest here, a live. We have guest. a guest, but she's cool. She won't mind. Um, yes, she will. We'd like to thank uh, Fiona, um, Brendan, Ross, Georgios, Con, Joseph, Margaret, Stephen, Colin, Michael, Cheryl, and Klaus, Lars, Leanne, Aiden. Thank you all so very much. Well, thank you for that. That was short and sweet, and I'd like. I told you. I'd just like to remind people that Joseph that was mentioned wasn't me. I wouldn't bother donating to this program. We have a real guest. Now we have an ornament. We have the most important person. No, no. Today, she's she's the most important person in the studio, (laughs) Giselle Hannah. Oh, why hello there. I have I have seen you somewhere before, haven't I? I don't know where <laughs> might we have met before. I'm not sure. Not you sure. do look familiar. Yeah. Are you yeah. from the gardening show on the ABC? Is that you? I, I'm the gnome on the gardening <laughs> show. <I see>. <laughs> <laughs> now, Giselle, I have to ask you this: What year were you born? I was born in 1979. That's a that's an interesting place to start. 
Well, we usually start at the beginning, not at the moment of conception, Break at the moment down of birth. 1979. <laughs> yeah, we you got start- a famous that Smashing Pumpkins song, wasn't it? 79. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, you been, were you Smashing Pumpkins as a little kitty? Were you? <laughs> no, I don't think so, no. Now, the next question Are your parents still alive? My mother is, and my father's passed away. Right. Mm. Um, what were they like as parents? <gasps> That's a. <laughs> Wow, right, right, right yeah, there. It goes right there. Yeah. You don't have to answer anything. No, I Because got that. sometimes I ask people this and they start crying. I go, oh, well, next question. <laughs> well, look, my parents were migrants from Egypt. They had, both of them had a very difficult life in Egypt. They migrated to Australia on their own, uh, not with any of their siblings, not with any of their parents. Um, and barely any of their friends. So they came in the 70s and they started from scratch and built from nothing. Mm. So their parenting, I think, was a reflection of the hardships of their lives. Giselle, I'm very pleased to hear that. I'll tell you why, because I I come from a similar background, you know, but 20 years earlier with my parents, and I think you cannot judge the past with the standards we have today. And so many people do and they, they feel so dis- desperate about how, what horrible childhood they had. They just don't understand the pressures their parents had. I would say it a bit differently. Mm. Like I understand it's, it's common to say you can't judge the past by the standards of today, but actually that's really all we've got to mm. judge the past is today's standards. And I think abuse is abuse. But I think what we can do, and, and I think, this is almost impossible in the cultural milieu of today, is actually look at that a a bit compassionately. Um, Obviously, I think that violence is completely and utterly unacceptable. But I also think this world breeds violence. Violence is structural and systemic. Mm. And I I have a lot of difficulty with holding individuals to account for what is a structural systemic problem. Mm. At the same time, individuals need to be held account for violence, if that makes sense. Well, Giselle, this is this is terrible. It means you've actually got a a view that goes beyond the individual and that's not we don't do that in 2023. It's all about the individual, I, it isn't sure it? Is. It's got nothing to do with society and you need therapy because it's your problem. I apologise in <laughs> advance for having a structural analysis. <laughs> yes. Any brothers and sisters? Yeah, two. One older, one younger. And, uh, Can you tell I'm the middle child? <laughs> Well, obviously you're trying to get attention and it's the only way you can do it, you know. But um, do you actually speak to them? Yeah, yeah. My younger sister and I are very, very, very close. Right. In fact, um, I'm going to pick up her kids from school today. Oh, my God. God, a pseudo mother. Yes, yes. I am the world's best auntie. Yeah, well, there's a lot of good aunties out there. And I'm pleased you're part of that brigade because that, that's one brigade we cannot say bad things about. Thank you. The nice aunties. <laughs> so, did you was English your first language? Um, I'm not sure. It um, it's certainly the language that I'm most comfortable in um, now. But my parents, I said, migrated from Egypt and um, my grandfather spoke seven languages. My mother spoke five languages. My father spoke one. Uh, And when he migrated to Australia, his English was very, very difficult. Uh, He didn't speak English well. 
and there was, as a result, a language barrier in the home. Now, my first language was either Arabic or Greek because my parents migrated with some Greeks from Alexandria. And so we're from Alexandria, which is very um, multilinguistic. So we can blame you on Alexander the Great. <laughs> Say, if he I had... don't think chronologically that that checks out, but I'm happy to take responsibility because... I, mean, I mean, you know, he, he, didn't he found Alexandria? Yeah, I believe so. So, so obviously... All the trouble you cause in the world today is due to him. <laughs> okay, let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think it's a good thing to you know to actually be associated. So, you got the Arabic today? Can you, do, speak, do you, do you? I can speak some Arabic, but I, I'm a uh, I was born in Australia, mm. and I'm one of those. Um, my children of migrants that feels very insecure about my language. But mm. my partner tells me mm. when my sisters and I have had a little to drink, we mm. are fluent in Arabic. So okay, you, you might have to get me drunk to speak on the, in uh, Arabic look, today. The fact that you've got a partner, I don't want to upset them. I won't get you drunk, <laughs> all right? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, because uh, I think it was 1982. I was – because I speak Sicilian. I don't speak Italian, right? Yeah. And I was at an anarchist conference in Milan and I had to give a presentation. You know, these hardened anarchists, you know. And every time I were, uh, in our um, dialect, we use the word Christiani for people, right? So every time I'd use, I'd say the people, I'd say Christiani, the Christians, right? (laughs) And there's this snigger, snigger across the crowd. (laughs) It was only when I finished that I realised it's the Bobolo. It's not, but in Sicily, the, right. the only people were the Christians, eh? Yeah, Because go, gotcha. I assume in your Arabic you'd make the same little errors, yeah. There are, and, you know, it is a, a fun pastime to um, compare the differences in some Arabic dialects. My partner's learning Arabic, and so mm, we also mm, have mm. that mm. conversation. Yeah, so my current partner is Arabic, and she, she speaks Arabic fluently and writes, and she says... Where's she from? Sudan. They say a Sudanese Arabic with a Sudanese flavour, or Arabic with a Lebanese flavour. You know, that's well. Let me tell you, there mm-hmm. where I I've just moved house, but when I was in Point Cook, um, there was a Sudanese family up the street, and um, the grandmother has the care of her grandchildren, and she. Um, spent 10 years in a refugee camp in Kenya, I think, and eventually made it to Egypt. She can't speak any English. The kids can't speak Juba. And um, so there's that similar language barrier. And we just get by on my Egyptian Arabic and and her her Arabic. Big, yeah, just, that's right. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like uh, speaking pigeon in New Guinea to somebody who's, <laughs> yeah, same thing. Yeah. Now... Did you go to school? I assume you weren't homeschooled if you're a child of migrants. Yeah, but I didn't go to school. What do you mean you didn't go to school? <laughs> of, course I went to, of course I went to school. <laughs> I did. I went to school. Yeah. yeah. Willing, but- willingly? Did you find it <laughs> liberating? Because as, as a child... As a child of migrants who were working very hard to survive, yeah. starting from scratch, school was just wonderful, wasn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> I But my, my parents are Christians, right. so um, Coptic Christians, Christians yep. and uh, ha- had all kinds of, I'm going to call them backward ideas about um, life and culture in Australia. Uh, they really, so they wanted to send us to sex-segregated schools, 
of course, there you don't have sex segregation in primary school. So they sent us to a Catholic school. And I went to, I grew up in Coburg. My parents were injured, but typical migrant story. Um, They had working class jobs. Dad drove trams. Mum, back when telecom, when it was telecom and the government owned every Mm. aspect of it, they also owned the workshops where they assembled telephones. My mum worked in the workshop. Both of them were injured at work roughly the same time and were rendered unfit for work. So what was called the invalid pension back in the day. So from the time I started primary school, around five years old, my parents were on the um, invalid pension. Um, But they sent us to a Catholic school. And I went to school in Coburg and we shared a wall with Pentridge. I know. Oh, the I was just there recently. Have you been there recently? I have, yeah. Oh, my goodness. The supermarkets and disgusting, cinemas disgusting. in amongst all the old buildings. It's bizarre. Well, I, I remember when I started my medical career, I used to go to Pentridge late at night when I was doing locum work to visit the prisoners, and that was a real prison. Yeah. Real prison. Yes, I know the school you're talking about. So, in my. Now, Coptics, yeah. which. Sub-branch. Mar- Maronites? What? No, no, no. Coptic is Coptic the sub- Coptic. Yeah, It yeah. was the sub-branch, so, right. Yeah. No, I'm getting confused. So we're Orthodox. Orthodox, We're yeah. Orthodox and, yeah, and yeah. Coptic is the sub-branch, sub-branch as you say. So, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, one of the most boring things I've ever been to is a Coptic Christian <laughs> wedding. <laughs> Did it now? Was it the three hour or the one and a half? It was hour? the three hour one. Yeah. I, I, I was taken by a friend. So this and, is how it works, right? Yeah. If you get engaged, right, <laughs> you can't. You have the option of getting engaged in the church. That's a ninety minute ceremony. Then your wedding's down to another ninety minutes. But if you skip the engagement in church, the wedding's three hours. I didn't. I, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I'm just sitting there, and, hour and, after hour. And they had the crowns, and yeah, then they walked yeah, around the church. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, terrible, yeah, isn't yeah, it? I yeah. assume you were married in the same vein, you know. Did you have a Coptic Christian I'm not marriage? married. Oh. I wear a ring, but I'm not married. I don't believe in marriage. I'm a socialist, Joe. <laughs> what do you think this is? Well, you, I believe uh, in commitment and jewellery, so, so I wear the ring. But Kelly, she doesn't understand irony, does she? I thought of all the people here. No, I'm literal. What do you mean? This is no jokes, no jokes. Don't make jokes. I can't follow. Well, it wasn't a joke. It was reality, you know, but I can assure you I'm never going to another cop. I'll ask whether it's the 90 minute or the free hour version. But also, because my partner's an anthropologist whose area of interest is minority cultures of the Middle East, of which I happen to be one. One, Yes, yes. Um, So, and my mother is extremely religious and always invites. Mm. us to church and he's very interested but um <laughs> you know i'll say to my mom okay what time and she'll say nine o'clock of course i know mass goes for three hours yes and so we get there at 11 or 11 30 <laughs> that's what you need to do you need to come right at the end no i went right at the beginning and then the bride was i think 56 minutes late so it was a four-hour <laughs> ceremony <laughs> Wow, that's intense. I, on behalf of Copts worldwide, I apologise. Thank you. I accept the apology. <laughs> so did you learn much at primary school? Um, look, I, you know, I had a very difficult childhood. I've kind of referred to it a little bit. And I think how I survived was I was very, very bright. Yep. And so I did learn a lot and I 
uh, was precocious intellectually at school, so I asked for extra work and mm. I would race through, I would get through everything that the class was doing and then I would do more on top of that. Mm. And at the start of school, so I would get to school really early because I didn't want to be at home. So That's I would, right, yep. I would leave home early, get to school early, leave school late, get home late, that kind of thing. And the, my, the kids in my class would line up with their workbooks and I would do everybody's homework. So that, that's how I got through Yeah, well, it's, it's, not, it's not, not an unusual migrant experience, especially if things are difficult at home because I, know, I used to look at my mates, you know, Aussie mates, and think, how can you hate school? Why are you wagging school? I that's love right. it. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's you right. love it. You love it, you know. So... Precocious, I like that. <laughs> Did you? Instead of using the word nerd, <laughs> <laughs> you were precocious. Well, I'll tell you because so I was I was advanced as a kid, but that catches up with you. That's like right, it right. just equalizes when you get older. I, mm. I'm not I'm not particularly smart compared to my peers now. Oh, I'm sure you are, Giselle. You wouldn't be on the program if you weren't. Oh, well, thank you. Well, we do an IQ test, and if you don't, you're not part of the top two percent Mensa material. You don't walk in the oh, door. Got it. Isn't that oh, right, Kelly? True story. True story. Yeah, you do. The, you did the test with Giselle, didn't you? <laughs> now, high school. Yes. What was that like? So. Um, you know, as you get older and as you progress through the independent education system, things get more expensive. So my mum did want us to get a Catholic education and um, she sent us to the Academy of Mary Immaculate, which is just Ooh. here in Fitzroy. <laughs> I know, what a name, right? Um, but she couldn't afford to send us all there. And But, my, I mean, my mum is like a migrant through and through. She has the fighting instincts of people who are surviving we couldn't afford the fees she met with the principal who was a nun at the time sister beth calthorpe who is the aunt of the famous essendon calthorpe player which she mm. reminded us of <laughs> anyway my mum <laughs> and your mum said what <laughs> mum um begged her to right. um let us in so my sister's three years older than me. My younger sister's two years younger. And the deal that my mother struck was that she would pay $10 a week and she would work in the school canteen three days a week for free. And then at the end of the year, anything outstanding would be wiped. So that's how she got us through high school. But by the time my younger sister joined, that deal wasn't really working. So I, you know, I was... Mm. Intellectual. I sat an entrance exam for a selective school. Scholarship, yep. Yeah, and I got in. So then I went off to a different school and my two sisters stayed at the academy. Does the different school remain nameless or you're willing to name it? (laughs) (laughs) I went to McRobertson Girls High School. Very nice. My late wife taught there for a while. She was the art teacher. It changed my life, that school. That is an extraordinary school. Yeah. And uh, it, it actually did it change your uh, attitude to single sex schools and what they can do. No, for women. Uh, I always had a. I you know I was very intellectual, so you know my my mum wanted us to go to single sex schools because she didn't want us having mm. sex with boys. Yes, I went to McRob and had sex with girls instead. instead yeah. But um, the you know so I I came out as a lesbian in high school, mm. um, and. I loved being around women and I knew that the research showed that teenage girls perform much better in single-sex schools than 
teenage girls in co-educational schools, but boys perform better in co-educational schools than they do in single-sex boy schools. Mm. So any particular teachers you'd like to mention positively? Oh, at, at I, I I am not joking when I say that school changed my life. For, for starters, when, when I was in the Catholic school system and everybody came from a similar ethnicity and similar um, home environment – it's easy to normalise those environments. I got to McRobb and I realised my home environment wasn't normal. But even by, uh, you know, other ethnic family standards, my home life wasn't normal. Um, but but there was a way to deal with it there, whereas it was jarring how not normal that was. I was surrounded by middle-class people. I was very working class, so that was also diffi- Like, I really struggled to fit in. It took me two and a half years to actually settle into the culture of that school but I I I don't know how to like being smart was encouraged obviously I mean everybody when they go to McRobb or Melbourne Heights brother school experiences a drop in marks and then suddenly confronts that they're not the smart because you come from being the smartest kid in your class in your school and you're suddenly but they prepared you for that um I I, I, I discovered debating at that school. Academy didn't really I have a... I can't believe that you did. <laughs> didn't have a culture deba- of that. Um, I, I, I learnt about poetry. I learnt about um, the arts. There were a lot of left-wing teachers at that school. Um, it was really, really liberating for me. It really did change my life. I, I broke out of the... Um, narrow confines of my community and experienced a different world. I mean, it also exposed me to um, – and then I, I went on to go to Melbourne Uni. And hang, I've, hang on, hang so, on, hang on. <laughs> but, hang on. No, 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 no. I want to get back. I want to, I want to look at the nitty-gritty. Yeah, sure, While sure. you were at MacRob, did you get invitations to other girls' homes and you were able to compare – Absolutely. Tell yeah. us, did it blow your mind how people live differently in the same well, we city? Well, didn't, we didn't have books in mm. the house that I grew up in. And part of that was because we couldn't afford it. My parents were on the disability pension. They were th- we, My parents were raising three girls who were trying to get through high school. It's... If you don't, if you don't know what growing up on welfare is like, there's it's very difficult to describe it. It's just really, really difficult. We we didn't go out. We would come home from school. We would be stuck at home. School holidays were spent at home because there was no money to go out. No money for like even things like petrol. So my parents did everything they could to have us fed and ha- keep a roof over our heads, and that was all that they could do. So, you know, that – and then I go – you know, I loved to read and then I go to people's houses and I just see walls of bookshelves. As a result, I, I now have walls and walls of bookshelves and when you in rental accommodation and you keep moving, moving <sighs> eight bookshelves is really, you know, tall bookshelves filled with books. It's hard work mm, and mm. I just moved house and I'm like, maybe it's time to give up the books but I'm not ready to yet. No, don't give up the books. No, don't go into that e-book. Crap. <laughs> no. Don't, don't. It's bad for your eyes. Um, things like that. But, uh, you know, I went to the east of southeastern suburbs for the first time, you know. like You in- crossed the <laughs> Rubicon. You crossed the Yarra. And that was... You went south. Whoa, you traitor. 
I mean, there's a big Coptic community yes, out that way, but is. but we didn't, we weren't, you know, we had friends there, but mm. we weren't a part of that. No. And also, um, the the other thing which may or may not be a class issue, but it definitely occurred for me as a um, a cultural or ethnic issue, is how much freedom kids had. Like, you know, we couldn't sneeze sideways without getting in trouble, and then there are people like just I don't, it's hard to describe how kids spoke to their That's parents right. the That's relationship right. that they mm. had with parents mm. like yeah anyway mm. and I don't know how much of that is the the stress in our household and the pressure and mm. what our family was dealing with um the like uh, we didn't talk to our parents my parents would sit in a room and fight and we would be in the back room and and we would never see them my, like, mm. even when we were really little, my parents mm. slept most – like, they did experience depression and things like that. But I don't – never had a, a conversation as equals with my parents. And then watching people do that was – You realise you realize that immigrant parents that come from very poor backgrounds are basically human sacrifices for their children. Yeah. That's, that's their role. Right. And that's why they're so unhappy and – yeah, I could tell you stories, but there's no point. People start crying, you know. You're going to make me cry. I'm supposed to make you cry. All right. Did you know that 3CR received its community radio licence in 1976? Our application was successful because of our diverse and engaged community membership. Subscribers are at the heart of our station, and we really need you to be active and paid up in 2023. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Call 03-9419-8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au You're listening to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au .au, the program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. The big experience. What did you think when you went to a house in the southeast suburbs and you saw an in-ground swimming pool in the backyard? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so... No, no, this is, this is Kelly, this is... I know, I it's know. It's huge, you know, because we come from the same type of background. 20 years difference, but same background. Well, I will tell you this, right? Back in the day, for um, people on welfare, that uh, like what you yeah, now hang on, call... hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop you. No, no. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, like you the, I don't like, I don't like oh, the word... Oh, you don't like well, the word welfare? Yep. Social security benefit. Social security. Because I think, I think they use that to denigrate people. Uh, uh, understood. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll run Thank with you. that. Yeah. But but it wasn't called a healthcare card. It was some other pension type of yeah, card, right? Yeah. Mm. The Coburg pools were free for those families, mm-hmm. right? So at the start of the school holidays... Basically, what would happen was mum would fill an esky with, like, you know, the brand, no brand soda and all of these Arabic bread rolls, right? Because we couldn't afford to buy food from the canteen. She'd fill the esky. (laughs) Me and my sister would walk from our house to the Coburg Pools, which was about a 20-minute walk, holding the esky. 
We'd get there when it opened. We would leave when it closed. So we were swimmers. We could swim. The lifeguards knew us. They knew us as the three girls that were unsupervised (laughs) and they kept their eye on us. So we really, really could swim. And so when I saw an in-ground pool, it wasn't mind-blowing in that way. It was opulent, but it occurred as, oh, you guys are lucky bastards. But let's get in the pool. Pool, right. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's one. So you went to Melbourne University. Well, 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 my old alma mater. <laughs> and what did you do there, apart from get involved in extracurricular activities? Yeah. Well, this is when everything started to catch up with me because I could – I never studied. I was, I was just quick. I was quick, I was bright, I understood, I could sit in class, I could figure out what was going to be on the test based on what was being taught in class, etc. But I couldn't do that when I got to uni. I studied science Um, and, you know, like they teach a year in a week in science at university level and I just couldn't keep up. And, of course, I did get involved in politics uh, and I just started to fail. So I got... I did four years of science, but basically I did first year four times. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon it's because you were in the politics. I, I, Probably, yeah. I don't think you were concentrating on this. Science isn't that hard. <laughs> it, it's it's formulaic, you know. But but also I was dealing, I was dealing with the home situation. Yep. Mm. By then, um, my parents found out about my sexuality. Right. I got kicked out of home. Um, they didn't talk to me for four years, right. and all of that was happening at that time. Mm. And I got called before Unsatisfactory Progress Committee. Oh, yes, yes. Every year. Every year. And I went, like I went three <laughs> times and I argued my way back in. Right. And the fourth time I was called before the Unsatisfactory <laughs> Progress Committee, so I've run out of arguments. I, I Even I don't think you should take me. Yeah. And so I didn't go and then I, I, I was kicked out. Yeah, kicked oh, out. After all, that, after all those years. Yes, oh, yes. my goodness. So it's exceptionally difficult if you've got a different sexual orientation with migrant parents who've got a religious background. It's very, very difficult. So what happened to you is not unusual. You're rejected. That's what the church tells them to do. But interesting. So I'm in a long-term relationship with a man now, Mm. but um, when the plebiscite came up, you know, I talked to my mum about it. I said, Mm. what are you going to do? And she said... Well, I can't vote against my daughter, mm. but I can't vote against my church, so I'm not going to vote. Right. That was the position she took. Yeah. But other, but otherwise the church said vote no to That's the right. congregation. Mm. Mm. That was good then, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I'll take that over a no. <laughs> yeah, so. no, no, she made a bit. She thought she about her decision. She, yeah, yeah she, she did the right thing. So what happened once you left Melbourne Uni? I mean, this is this doesn't sound good. Four years doing year four years science doing year one. Mm. Mm. Why don't you just go to arts or something hairy fairy? Because the arts had a higher entry um, score than science did, so I couldn't just go into arts. Oh. I, I would have. Oh. I would have, like, the only subjects I passed in science were the history and philosophy of science subjects and you can't get you can't get a whole degree with those subjects. Well, well, I've actually got a patient who's he's a professor now or something. He's got, he, he does the philosophy of science and he's got a doctorate in the philosophy of science. I don't think he knows anything about E equals MC square. So, <laughs> well, so you could have gone that. And that. I, I tried I, yeah. and I just couldn't. I, no. So that was. Well, university is not for everybody. And that's what people need to understand is you go through phases in life, as you said, you go through. I went back to uni. 
Oh, when was that? Uh, when I was 24, I went back to – I went to La Trobe and studied law because I, I could argue. I could argue I as well. <laughs> did, you, did you graduate as a lawyer? Yeah, I did. Were you? Did you get your articles? Yeah, I did. And you actually work for somebody? Uh, I've got a practising <laughs> certificate, but yes. I only use that to uh, volunteer in community uh, legal centres. Yeah. And I work – I'm a public servant. I work for the state government now. Right. I was about to ring up a lawyer I know to ask them a question. Maybe I should ask you. Not on air, mate. Uh, well, not on air. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's pro bono. <laughs> it will be, but not on air. <laughs> it's all right. You won't know the answer. This is a oh, bit, oh, good. <laughs> this, is a bit, this is a bit convoluted. That's I why I need to speak to a, well, a I real appreciate, lawyer. I appreciate the faith you have in my Latrobe law degree. Uh, it's not the I, law degree. It's, it's, it's a little... I understand. I like little... I, no problem. No, no, I'm, okay. no offence taken. Uh, Dodge the bullet there. You, just, yeah. <laughs> you might notice that right now I'm joking. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting, your transition as far as sexual orientation is concerned. Would you like to talk about that? Um, I don't know what there is to say about it. I can say that um, I, I'm not of the view that sexuality is static. Mm-hmm. You know, as people – and desire isn't static. As you change, as you um, mature, as you gain experience in life, the things that you want, the things that you desire, the things that make you happy, the things that fulfil you change. Mm-hmm. Um when I was younger, I was dealing with a particular patriarchal environment and what I desired was to be around women and and oh, girls. It sounds wrong, but I was a girl. Um, no, no, it doesn't sound wrong. People don't understand sexuality is something that very early in your experiences, yeah. you know. So, and I, I loved being around women, though um, most of the teachers I loved the most at school were women. One of them in particular was a man and he's the teacher that introduced me to poetry and politics and things like that. But I, I loved being around women and girls and, and um, females my age. Then when I went to uni, I ended up in the women's department pursuing those politics. And there was a, you know, back in the 90s, it wasn't lesbians of colour, lesbians from ethnic backgrounds weren't that common. So I sought out a community of ethnic lesbians and I tried to build that community and it was really, really fulfilling. And then I went down this rabbit hole of identity politics back in the 90s, right? Mm. And I was, you know, insisted that the only people in my life and in my network were women of colour. And and I I hit a bottom with that. Like it no longer was fulfilling. It was so narrow and it just felt crippling and stifling. And then, you know, I was already a volunteer at 3CR at that point and there was a blow-up here at 3CR and it just cracked me out of this bubble, just like shattered this tiny insular world and opened things up. And then I started getting involved in international trade union politics and things like that and I just saw that it wasn't only women of colour that experienced hardship in the world, that actually a lot of poor men exploited by this ravishing, brutal system of capitalism. And it it, it just – anyway, it just opened things up. Mm. And when when my desire changed, when when what fulfilled me changed, it meant I surrounded myself by lots and lots of different people 
And the person that I happen to be attracted to and in an intimate relationship with now is a man. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't say I'm a lesbian. I really object to people claiming identities that aren't a reflection of their reality. I still have attraction for women, but right now I'm committed to this man mm-hmm. and I'm not a, as I'm not a I just am not a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, if something happened with us and then I was with a woman, then sure. Then how I describe my sexuality will change that. It's not static. No, no, it isn't static and people people need to understand that. And I think you raise an exceptionally important issue which I rail about for years about the loss of politics that revolve around universal values. Identity politics. To me, identity politics is... The dangerous. Option. Well, it's not just dangerous, it's just the option you take when you think change is impossible when you think structural change is impossible. So you actually go back to the self and actually self-fulfilled. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with identity politics. Maybe it is dangerous, as you said, if you go down a rabbit hole, but it now dominates all type of political activity in this country at the minute. It's, it's just wrong. So w- what, what made you change your ideas regarding universal values? and? So, I mean... I come from a Labor family. We grew up in Coburg, so we grew up in the seat of Wells. My father was a member of the Labor Party. He campaigned for Bob Hawke in the 1988 election. My parents were trade unionists. In fact, part of our survival past their injuries at work were because they were trade unionists. They got Mm -hmm. some compensation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I grew up in that milieu. Also, we're cops from Egypt, you know, like... um, I don't find this in Australia, like people that have a long history in this country, but people who have a recent history in this country come from very deep international politics. So my parents mm. were always interested in politics. So I, so that's the background. That's mm-hmm. what's going on in the background. But when I'd narrowed my world so much and it was basically you can't have an opinion about race and racism if you don't experience racism. Mm. That, that's insane. It is insane. Eventually it got to I couldn't – even I couldn't comment on stuff that I – by my own logic, mm. I couldn't comment on anything that I didn't have a direct experience of and it occurred for me as wrong and I was like, okay, I've got to rethink this. But also, I, I, you know, just a little sidebar, I didn't survive my childhood particularly well in the early days. It resulted in a lot of anger problems and personality problems for me. I could be described as that toxic person in any environment. Mm -hmm. That's really hard to live with. So I just alienated myself from lots and lots of organisations and groups and and it was the equivalent of rock bottom. Like I'd never had addictions or anything like that. I'd never drank alcohol or anything when I was younger. So it was the the version of rock bottom. If I was an addict, it would have been a different, different yeah, yeah. yeah. So I had to rebuild. I had to pick myself up, and I actually had to get therapy. Mm. So I focus, spent some time focusing on my mental health and getting therapy, and just kind of pulling apart all of the um, behavioural and personality issues that arose from the the past that I had, and part of that process, like. Mm. 
you know, some some values that have been ingrained in me since I was younger just came a bit more to the surface. Mm-hmm. A lot of the self-hatred kind of fell away and as that falls away and you make space inside you for compassion and love, it just, for me, it just opens stuff up. Mm-hmm. And that, that and then when, when I really screwed some stuff up at 3CR and they were ready to kick me out, you know, two people have been banned from 3CR, I was about to be the third and I, I, some people helped me avoid mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and so I stuck with them. And then I just always been an activist, so that's where I put my activism because it was the only place I was welcome. Yes. No one else wanted to work with me. And, and I will say, understandably, like, I, you know, you need a combination of people that are going to force you to look at stuff and people that are going to grant you some space and grace and yes. that kind of thing, and I had that. There are still a lot of people who won't talk, activists who will have nothing to do with me and though I wish I could say I've, I'm changed, I'm a new person, look, look, I, I, could, I respect their decision not to. Well, look, Giselle, you are a new person. I've always loved you. Oh, I thank you, Joe. Not, not, not in a platonic sense. Let's <laughs> God, get that really, right. Really. <laughs> no, no, seriously. I thought it was paternal, in no, a paternal sense well, almost. Well, you could be my daughter, but uh, I don't think the DNA would match up. <laughs> Why? There are Sicilians in Alexandria. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, but no, I'm not going to. <laughs> it's not going to suggest anything there. But no, seriously, you are a different person. And what, what what's brilliant about you is, and, and I, I'm saying this honestly, you know, because, you know, usually I used to talk bullshit, but I'm honestly, what is brilliant about you is your capacity to change in a positive direction. And not only that capacity, but the fact that you didn't actually take the role of addiction. Because I've seen so many people in a similar situation take that voyage of addiction and most of them I know now are dead mm-hmm. you know and they could have it could have gone other ways but it's obviously that I think there's an extra determination when you're a child of immigrants and your life isn't what it should really be and you build up this strength of character and I think that's what you're showing so if you didn't want to speak to Giselle because you remember the Funny one. I won't say nasty one here. She has changed. She's even nice to me. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Yeah. And now um, you've gone into kind of traditional politics these days, have you? No. No, no. But I Absolutely mean, you, not. You no, said, I said, reject you, that. No, you said you're a socialist. That's pretty traditional. There's, there's a long history of socialism. Okay, Come okay. On. Tell us sure. about that journey. I see. I thought you meant like party politics. Or no, 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 like... no, 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 just <laughs> socialism. You use the S word I on did. the program. Well, I, re- I, I mean, I landed in socialist groups from uni and it. I always end up back there. I just think... Um, Capitalism is a system of economic management that is brutal and broken and from there many, many things come out of it. So our idea of parliamentary democracy is based on and necessitated by an economic system of capitalism. So I just don't think any of that should exist. I know some anarchists would line up with that and then there would be a divergence in relation to... Yeah, look, I'm not here to argue my position I want to listen to you but but I mean that is the the bare bones of what I believe and hand in hand with that is I don't think that capitalism can be dismantled I don't think it we can all sit around and have a chat about oh this system doesn't work let's change it I think it needs to be smashed and it needs to be smashed by a process of the people who are brutalized by it 
predominantly the working class and I guess some of the lumpen as well rising up against it it that's actually it, it is it'll be um a war of forces um that will change that and then everybody always says oh well what comes next because what comes next is and and I I have a very unhelpful answer to that which is what comes next gets built and there's no blueprint for it and we have to work it out and part of the process of smashing what we've got now is discovering that we've got to work something out that benefits society as a whole but the truth of the matter is smashing capitalism or capitalism um breaking down or collapsing doesn't inherently mean what comes better or what comes next is better. It doesn't inherently mean that. We have to work on that. And that's why we have to develop the politics and the theories and the Mm. ideas now Mm. in order that our side has some leadership at that point. Because if you don't, (coughs) what you get is authoritarianism and... uh, Barbarism, like a range of things. Yeah, the old old saying, you know, socialism or barbarism. That's the old 60s slogan. Mark said it earlier than the 60s. I'm pretty sure that's how the Communist Manifesto ends. Forget about Marx, he doesn't count. But getting back, so are you part of a particular organisation? No. Um, I'm not in a party. No, no, but an organisation. Yeah, I am. Australia Asia Worker Links, which is um, an international labour movement organisation, so it's a membership structure, but it has lots of different political perspectives in it, which sometimes makes working together really difficult. And by way of example, the war in Ukraine, AAWL has not been able to say anything about it because... There are too many different views inside AAWL. So we leave that to people's organisations and what we work on mm. is building international worker solidarity. Yeah, because you need, you, need, you, need, you need to create a dual power situation if you actually want any chance of success, as we saw during the Spanish Revolution and other revolutions. If you haven't built a basis, as you said, what comes out could be worse than what you've got. You know, you may get what you wished for. So... That's good. Now you're working, you said. You use the S word for the state government. Yeah, I'm a public servant. I serve the public. Yeah, well, obviously robo-debt was a bit of a wake-up call for you, wasn't it? (laughs) Well, that was federal, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously as a state public service, there's not much you can tell us. Um, But what type of work do you do generally? I I can tell you Mm. that I work in justice and Mm. I work in prison reform. Right, prison reform. Yeah, so I am one of the groups of activists that I completely alienated Mm. was I was an anti-prison activist and I worked with in community legal centres and I accidentally ended up at corrections. I um, left community legal centres because I got burnt out working with homeless people and people that were in crisis every day of their lives and I wanted a quiet job and I ended up at the county court doing an information officer position, so just reading judgments, redacting them, making information available to the public and then... I got sent off on secondment to work out a contract between some government departments and they kept me, justice kept me. And one of the people that, one of the very senior people who remembered me um, from when I was an advocate basically said, we know your interest and this government has an interest in reform and would you like to work on it? So I said yes. Why not? You get paid for it. <laughs> That's right. Well, so you didn't have to be a volunteer anymore, which is great. Yeah. Do you think there there is a 
feeling that reform's necessary in the state government at the minute? Um, just generally, just generally. Do you think there's I think a will? I do think there is mm. a will, but I also think, and this is why I'm a socialist and this is why I'm a political activist, I think there is a limit, not just a limit to what you can reform, but what is possible as like there are some changes you can't you just can't make so for example this government says that it's very committed to ending aboriginal deaths in custody i believe them when they say that i think they do mean that you just can't get there by reform you can't aboriginal deaths in custody are an outcome of 200 odd years of dispossession you can't undo that under capitalism. You just can't. What what it will take to end Aboriginal deaths in custody, in my view, is a massive reallocation of resources, a redistribution of land, a reinvestment in culture and language, in a whole lot of work in language recovery and culture recovery, intensive medical... Re- like, that is how you end Aboriginal deaths in custody. Mm. Just having an inquiry and a royal commission and coronial inquests and, you know, changing your reception processes in a prison, that isn't going to cut it. It's not going to get you there. Because mm. it's inside people. It's embodied... Um you know, that history is all embodied, how we view, how people view the world, you know. And part of part of the reason Aboriginal people die in custody is because of their, the, the lower health outcomes for Aboriginal... Like, it's, it's also a healthy... I mean, it's just... Mm, now I'm going to ask the hard question now. <laughs> yeah. What do your nieces and nephews call you? They call me... Auntie Giselle. Auntie Giselle. Yeah, but when they were little, they couldn't say Giselle, so it was a range of things. My favourite one is Sajel, mm. and I. This is my nephew, and I said it's Giselle, and he goes, "Why is it Giselle? Why don't you just rename yourself to Sajel?" And I said, "Because in two years you're going to be able to say it properly." And can he say it properly? <laughs> he now? Can, oh, he can. that's lovely. Now, all those people you burnt off over the years, um, obviously. It's interesting that we've got a culture today where people can't refashion themselves in a positive sense. It's there. There's this negative culture that if you say one wrong thing or do one wrong thing in your life, it, it hangs around you. I'm not talking about mass murder. I'm just talking about no, I ordinary, get it. ordinary human interactions. So if somebody finds themselves, in the, we won't talk about you, but in the same position as you and you're angry, frustrated, you're toxic, what would you suggest to them? Well, I will just say what I did. I know you said not because it will be different for everybody. But mm. my question, the question that I asked myself and from where everything came was what is the best use of me for the world? And based on what the answer to that is, what do I need to be that? Mm. So I, for me, the best use of me is to be an activist, right? I don't need to lead shit. I don't need to do any of that. I just need to be constantly working for a world that works for everybody, a world that, mm. is, that is better for everybody. And in order to do that, I can't yell at activists. I can't have fights with everybody. I can't dig my heels in and, you know, because then I can't fulfil on what is the best use of me for the world. And it really does take it, – it, 
I mean, courage is the wrong word. Like it actually takes being willing to confront the ugliest parts of you and to do that without judgment and Mm. without shame and without embarrassment or at least to work through that. Like you actually have to go, I've ruined this. I screwed this thing up and now I have to deal with it. And, and, you know, I I made a list of all the people that I'd effed over. Right. (laughs) And I made a promise to myself that if if given the opportunity, I would Mm. take it to apologise. And so I just worked through that over 15 years, just worked through. And there are still some people on that list who won't answer my calls and stuff like that. And there's nothing I can do about it. But if people do find themselves in that situation, I think you always have to look at you first. So what do I want for the world? What's the best use of me? And is what is surrounding me going to do that? And what do I have to do Mm. to get there? Mm. Not... What do people have to do to allow me to yes. access their spaces yeah. or them? Yeah. Well, you can, only, you can only go so far. People have to open their hearts. And I suggest that if there's anybody on that list who's listening, you should open your heart. Giselle is a wonderful human being. Oh, and, and, I, and I noticed that when you walked into 3CR, you were welcome with love. Yes. By, by, by the, the old guard, you know, <laughs> that, those old well, women they, that yeah. have been I mean, here. I, had to, I, I yeah. mean, they're, they're, they're people that I had to... Yeah. Make amends with. Yeah. Good on yeah. you. Yeah. Good on you. <laughs> now, I'm going to ask you a trick question. Uh-oh. Yeah. You said you worked in the county court. Yeah. Now, many years ago, we were involved in a campaign against the county court. Can I ask you something? Sure. Who owns the county court, the building? Uh, I don't know. Well, you know, the county court is actually privately owned. Right. And the state government actually rents it, rents it. Right. and uh, we we used to have protests outside the county court for various reasons and there was a space which they claimed was private property and there's a space we claimed was public property and there was always this confer- you know confrontation and and then we f- I found out that the county court actually to make money because it's a private organization right they rent rooms out. Yeah, no, I, d- yeah. I know that. Yeah. yeah, and so I tried to get a room rented out to the Anarchist Media Institute. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and they said no. They said no. Mm. no. Discrimination. You should take it up with them. <laughs> I don't work there anymore, but sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny. It's just so many yeah. state government entities. Like currently we're trying to get the uh, Minister for Families, Fairness and Housing evicted from uh, 50, uh, 60 Lonsdale Street. Because they rent that bill, they rent the twenty second floor. It's just amazing how little property the state government actually has. Yeah. Yep. Well, Giselle, look, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Ditto. And, Thank you. Uh, and uh, I finally, hope finally, we got <laughs> you yeah. here. Yeah. yeah, and hopefully. Hopefully people realise that you've changed. Oh, I thank you. And I'd like to congratulate you. And because what you've shown is that Everybody is capable of change if they want to change. And you're doing wonderful things and continue to do wonderful things. And you're welcome back here anytime you like. And I don't care what they say at the front desk. <laughs> Thank you very much, Giselle. Thank you very much, Kelly. Thank you very Pleasure. much, listeners. Thanks, Giselle. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.